Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross. For 80 years, Capital Blue Cross has offered products that provide peace of mind and promote good health. Focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Health and Wellness Centers that provide in-person service and inspire healthy living. Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross. Live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at upmcpinnacle.com. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Last week, Governor Tom Wolf signed a bill reaffirming the state's commitment to the Children's Health Insurance Program, or CHIP, program provides matching funds for state health insurance for families with children who earn too much for Medicaid, but not enough to cover insurance costs. Federal funding has stalled in Congress. Without federal reauthorization, the program could sunset, leaving about 180,000 Pennsylvania young people without coverage. And right now there are some deadlines, but uh, the state may run out, of, run out of money by the end of January. Joining us to discuss how the loss of federal CHIP funding could affect Pennsylvania are Jim Wilshire, Director of Policy and Partnership with the Pennsylvania Association of Community Health Centers. Mr. Wilshire, welcome to the program. Thank you. Also joining us is Jennifer Englerth, who is CEO of Family First Health. Ms. Englerth, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good morning. If you have a question or a comment about CHIP, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. Let's start off with a broad question. Tell us how CHIP is applied through your organization and at your facility. Mr. Hilshire, let me start with you. Through your organization, how is CHIP applied? Uh, for, for us, we see 9,000 CHIP patients across Pennsylvania in all the uh, community health centers in Pennsylvania. We also see a lot of uh, students through uh, school-based health centers, like the one that uh, Jenny operates through Family First Health. Um, we see... Uh, in all of our health centers, we see vulnerable and underserved individuals that lack access to care, and uh, we provide primary medical, dental, and behavioral health services. So a lot of those CHIP patients that are coming through are getting the benefit of a lot of those different kinds of services, particularly around oral health and dental health, which for adults and children is very crucial because that's a gateway to a lot of other medical issues also. Let's talk about that for just a moment because I've observed that there is a real emphasis on dental health here recently. Yes. Um, it's It's been something that uh, a lot of people in public health have been aware is very critical and very, very important, um, but it hasn't, uh, it's it's not an easy thing to, to grapple, and it comes all the way through um, just good oral health and working with children, especially, for uh, working with knowing how to brush their teeth properly, all the way to adults that uh, maybe are a little too afraid to go to the dentist to, to get the care that they need and, and uh, make sure they're brushing also. And I know uh, Jenny is a very passionate advocate on oral health also, so she can probably explain a lot better than I can with some of those needs. I think that uh, we used to see teeth as expendable, right, and right. that was kind of our, our cultural norm. And what we understand now is not only teeth are critical to good nutrition, good overall health, um, but also really are a gateway to helping people engage in their communities and their economies and can, can really set up a disparity between those that have means and those that don't in our current society, meaning that if I have poor oral health, present with poor teeth, there are judgments made about all aspects of my life. And so it's really um, uh, certainly tied to overall health and also to people's ability to succeed. And it's become a critical service for community health centers um, across the state of Pennsylvania to ensure that not only do folks have access to primary medical care, but we are um, providing access to dental care with just uh, great as great an emphasis as primary medical care and behavioral health. It's really about total person care at all of our health centers. Something you said, though, is so interesting that we used to look at teeth as expendable. But when it comes to pain, I'll tell you what, uh, if, if there is <laughs> There's a nothing toothache, worse. that's right. And compared to a lot of the other uh, ailments or uh, procedures that are being done medically. So maybe it's a good time to define what a community health center is, by the way. Absolutely. 
um, a community health center, um, for lack of a better term. A lot of people are maybe familiar with the, the concept of Doctors Without Borders, where there's doctors that go out to other countries where um, the families and children may have a hard time getting some kind of care. Uh, we are, uh, my, my term, try to, try to give people a perspective of it. We are kind of like Doctors with Borders, but domestically. Uh, community health centers go into uh, poor neighborhoods that lack access to care, either because there's not enough clini- clinicians for them to be able to see, or there's a very high uh, proportion population of uh, low-income individuals that maybe are uninsured or um, because of their form of insurance, maybe being Medicaid or CHIP, uh, have a difficult time seeing uh, any any kind of primary care. Uh, we, as community health centers, uh, are federal, have federal oversight. Um, they're expected to follow uh, very stringent requirements and, and uh, produce all that publicly and have a community-based board oversee them, and they, they provide all the services that we said. We do medical, we do dental, we do behavioral health. Um, because we're a uh, board of directors um, made up by the patients that we're serving, they also are reflective of the needs of what that community is. So um, because of that, we have also have many health centers that are responsive to uh, maybe delivering babies or uh, with the opioid crisis that's going on right now, we have a lot of health centers that are engaging with that to try to either be uh, involved with the Department of Human Services Centers of Excellence, which is a very uh, aggressive form of trying to help with the, the counseling and, and help uh, the individuals that are suffering from that. Uh, we have health centers that have done podiatry, optometry. We we basically try to meet all the patients and, and uh, everyone that is vulnerable and needs access to some form of care. We meet them where they're at and try to give them what they need. We're going to talk about some of what you just touched on, uh, some of the services that uh, you do offer, but we want to get into CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program. Uh, you, you mentioned who your clients are. There may be some people who are surprised and thought that community health centers, that the, the treatments that you offer, the services that you offer, were free of charge to low-income individuals and may not be aware that CHIP is one of the ways in which you're compensated. Medicaid is another way in which you're, you're compensated. But these are two different things. Are there clients that uh, do receive your services free of charge? And talk about the importance of Medicaid and especially CHIP as we discuss it today. One of the things that I think that's a really important point, and one of the things that attracted me to uh, community health centers over 20 years ago was the fact that there was a built-in understanding to the way the program was designed that insurance status is vulnerable and changes for folks throughout their lifetime, but their primary care doctors and dentists shouldn't have to change based on the form of insurance that they have. So health centers really have diverse funding streams. While we have supports that allow us to um, accept a, a significant population of Medicaid patients, also those with CHIP. We accept private insurances, and because in large part of the federal support we receive um, or normally receive, we are able to offer a reduced fee program for those that are low income and um, un or underinsured in our communities. So really a person can see, and we see this in many cases in our health center, um, we have sites that have been open more than almost 50 years, Um, we see three generations of families, and they've had a variety of forms of insurance throughout their lifetime, but can continue to count on us as their primary care provider. Three generations. uh, So that means that uh, those generations have stayed in poverty. They have uh, often, um, or there's been some some variations and they continue to come back to us. Our sites are pride ourselves in being of the highest quality. So this isn't substandard care for poor people within community health centers. This is the highest level of care um, and that care is tailored to meet the needs of communities who may be struggling with generational poverty, may have other barriers uh, in access to health care. We design our services specifically to meet the needs of that population. Ultimately, if people like their doctor, if they have a good experience uh, when they come into our health center with their dentist or hygienist, they're going to keep coming back regardless of changes in station of their life. Uh, So uh, while we may certainly see the effects of generational poverty in our health centers, we also see people progress through their lives and continue uh, to have a connection to the health centers. Just because they like it. Mm Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have a question or a comment about the chip renewal, we're going to get into that part of it uh, here in the conversation in just a moment. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. 
the as I said in the introduction, uh, the state had to renew its commitment uh, to funding for CHIP, and that was done last week uh, with the signature from Governor Tom Wolf. Now the holdup is that Congress has to renew federal funding. This is a matching program. In the past, that has not been a problem. I mean, this is one of those services that is pointed to by both Republicans and Democrats as being a success. CHIP actually started here in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. during uh, the Bob Casey, age, uh, over, uh, excuse me, the administration of uh, former Governor Bob Casey back in the early 90s, spread Correct. nationwide. Uh, but again, both Republicans and Democrats look at this as a success. So it's a bit of a surprise to many people <laughs> that it has not been renewed. The funding expired on September 30th. Have you felt it at all yet? We have not to date. Um, We're fortunate to live in a state where uh, commitment is strong, uh, but there are limits. There are limits to what that commitment can be. And, you know, the thing that we're most concerned about as a community health center is that not only do we have the vulnerability of CHIP not moving forward, but also within that same uh, another element of that legislation will be critical funding to community health centers. So we really have a double whammy on our horizon as community health centers um, who are charged with taking care of the most vulnerable people in our communities. So we have some um, really potential devastating effects coming to the core services that we're able to offer if we don't see action. We continue to hear we're supportive. Um, Our legislators say they're supportive, but the action is not following those words at this point. Both Republicans and Democrats say they're supportive. Yes. That's correct. Yeah, for 50 years, uh, community health centers have had bipartisan support. Uh, CHIP has had support on both sides of the aisle since uh, Pennsylvania, as you said, was was a leader with it. Um, both of us were tied with, with September 30th with passing that deadline. Um, and like Jenny said, um, from conversations we've had with our congressional delegation, uh, we've we've heard nothing about but uh, support and, and the great work that all the health centers do. The other interesting thing with all this is uh, Pennsylvania is unique that we're one of the few states in the nation that don't provide any state funding to community health centers. So um, a lot of a lot of uh, as you had pointed out, the the funding for health centers mostly relies on um, the patients that are coming through, whether it's commercial insurance, the the self pay, or uh, Medicaid or, or CHIP. Uh, a portion of that does come from the federal grant that's basically expired at September 30th of, of this year. Um, what we haven't seen in Pennsylvania is any. Uh, thankfully, we haven't seen any kind of site closures or reductions of services or layoffs, but in in other states that has happened already. Um, what our concern is is that if Congress doesn't take action this week to uh, put some, some form of funding in place, uh, beginning January 1st, we are going to start seeing some site closures and service reductions in, in Pennsylvania. We do uh, know that there are health centers that have been developing plans because it's going to be a rolling reduction. It'll, it'll be phased in over time through 2018. But um, starting January 1st, we're going to start to see the first initial cuts. It'll be monthly uh, um, funding portions of what, so a fraction of what uh, health centers normally would have gotten in their grant. So just to be clear, we're talking about health centers here, community health centers, Uh, but there are obviously other places throughout the state where uh, medical services are offered to children that uh, the insurance is through chips. I just want to make that clear. That's for health centers. Right. Um, We're just talking about health centers today. but in, uh, when it comes to CHIP, uh, just as recent as yesterday, uh, the state of Alabama had said that they were going to uh, freeze their, their program. So th- on the CHIP side of things, if Congress doesn't take action, uh, states are going to be put in a position where, um, while Governor Wolf did reauthorize the, the CHIP program, that was for the state to operate it. What we're talking about when we're talking about CHIP in, in the federal level is for uh, federal funds to come into the state. So uh, part of what Pennsylvania, like a lot of other states, is facing is if that, those federal funds don't come through, then they need to make decisions on what they're going to do with the state budget and some of the, the flow of funds to be able to support the program. So we're that talk, is a threat. We're going to talk about the deadline later this week and uh, your definition or of what the word devastating, as you used, uh, uh, Jenny, in, in just a few minutes. You're listening to Smart Talk on WI. ITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. 
Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, who has offered transapical mitral valve repair procedures for more than three years and currently serves as a trial site for over 50 clinical trials. Information at upmcpinnacle.com slash myheart. Welcome back to Smart Talk. During this portion of the program, we're talking about the funding renewal in Congress that hasn't happened yet for the CHIP bill program, the uh, Children's Health Insurance Program. A little bit later, we're going to be talking about the renewal for LIHEAP, Low Income Heating Energy Assistance Program. Uh, kind of the, the same thing, only that's uh, keeping people warm during the, the winter months. And in just a few minutes, we're going to be speaking with Lisa Allen, who's Executive Dep- Deputy Secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Human Services about both issues. That's coming up in uh, just a few minutes. Our guest during this portion of the program is Jim Wilshire, Director of Policy and Partnership with the Pennsylvania Association of Community Health Centers, and Jennifer Englerth, CEO of Family First Health. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at Smart Talk WITF. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. A couple things that you mentioned that I wanted to uh, find out a little more information on. Jim, you mentioned deadlines at the end of this week. I had mentioned Pennsylvania running out of money by January 30th, or at least late in January. What is the deadline you're referring to the end of this week? Uh, the deadline for this week is uh, all, all the all the non-issues that are connected to all the other issues. Um, mm-hmm. This week, to avoid a government shutdown, uh, Congress needs to pass legislation to continue funding uh, all, all the different uh, federal programs that are out there. What the the hope and and the uh, loose plan is that uh, when they reach the end of this week and after they've probably addressed whatever they're going to do with the tax code changes is that they would have uh, CHIP funding, they could have health center funding, they could have a number of other initiatives uh, included in the legislation to avoid a government shutdown. And they do know that they want to avoid a government shutdown by this Friday, so we are expecting legislation to pass. What we're hoping for is that there will be a funding solution for health centers and CHIP included in in that vote package, Um, mostly because uh, what we're hopeful for, uh, there's um, tens of thousands of CHIP uh, patients in Pennsylvania, but we have 806,000 patients that come into community health centers, and we just want to make sure that none of those kids and none of the patients in a community health center suffers because of uh, inaction or missing a deadline since we've passed that September 30th deadline already. And just heard on NPR this morning, and I think it's it's true, it's accurate, that uh, members of Congress want to get home before Christmas. <laughs> so that may be the best deadline they have, mo- best motivation for uh, getting something passed that uh, the government doesn't shut down. Unfortunately, you kind of have to count on that uh, for for your funding as well. Right, and uh, like we had said, we we've heard nothing but support for community health centers. But what we're what we're hopeful for is that we'll see something come forward in form of legislation that will be able to continue the, the funding for health centers. Um, there's been no request for an increase in funding. All we've asked for is uh, the funding levels that we've received in the past, so that we can just continue to offer all the services that we've had. Where we have nearly 300 sites in Pennsylvania alone. And uh, studies have shown that health centers are able to save uh, taxpayers and uh, insurance premium holders uh, funds or money mainly because um, we keep chronic conditions stabilized. Uh, We keep patients uh, out of the emergency room and hospitals. We're able to to give someone a medical home uh, so that they can continue coming to see their doctor or their dentist or behavioral health care professional regularly so that they um, can just continue to get services that they need. One of our concerns is that if uh, there is uh, a loss of funding, which is our what keeps us all up at night, um, there would be more people that need to use the emergency room as their form of primary care. Uh, which is would, much more expensive. Right. It would be much more expensive. It would cause disruptions through the whole public health system. Um, that's what we want to avoid, and, and we're hoping that the support that we've heard will, will be able to come through for, for that then. I want to take a phone call in just a moment, but, but first, uh, Jenny, you used the word devastating if this funding isn't renewed. What would devastating look like? 
devastating would look like uh, that we would need to make as a health center, a health center that employs 230 people, um, has six sites across. Just yours alone. Just mine alone. um, uh, Has six sites throughout South Central Pennsylvania. uh, And those sites are both rural and urban. Some of our sites are smaller volume as they're in more rural areas. And um, we also provide behavioral health. We provide opioid um, treatment services. And those are the kinds of things we would have to, within each site and each service line, consider how we figure out how to cut $420,000 out of our budget. You can't do that without cutting services and reducing staffing. And the result of that is not just the immediate impact to those individuals, but is a, a residual effect throughout the community. So, for example, our health system partner, one of our health system's partners, well, Span Health understands that the stability of community health centers is critical to their success as well. It's critical to a healthy community. So when we're not able to do the job that we do to keep people healthy, um, that goes somewhere else. It's not as though people are miraculously healthy. Um, They continue to struggle with the issues they've always struggled with. And with less access, those conditions will worsen and there will be a more devastating impact and cost uh, for both the individuals and the overall system. System. Let's take a phone call from Stacy. Stacy, you're on the air. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about um, CHIP um, because I don't think that a lot of people actually understand how CHIP works um, because CHIP is um, they give medical insurance to people who um, are not able to get it through their jobs also. So a lot of people are working people, and they have jobs, but they just can't get health insurance. Me and my husband, um, we work for the state of Pennsylvania, but we're seasonal workers, so we don't get health insurance. And um, CHIP enables us to be able to do that, and we pay monthly for each child that we have. So we pay $193 a month in order for our children to be on CHIP. And if we didn't have that, um, all we'd probably be able to get would be, like, major medical. And it enables us to be able to take, you know, our kids to the doctor when they're sick and not have to worry about, you know, you take them in for strep throat or something and you're getting a bill for $170 from the doctor. Mm. Hey, Stacey, I'm glad you called in and pointed that out. Thank you very much. You know, this is most often, CHIP is most often identified as a low-income program. Even in my introduction, I mentioned for those who make more over the level of being able to be eligible for Medicaid. But as Stacy just pointed out, we're not just talking about low-income individuals. We're talking about 178,000 children across the state. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And a variety of scenarios that we see. a scenario that most recently came to me in the past week. We have a patient, um, a 17-year-old young man um, with some severe uh, physical disabilities. Uh, They live in Delta, Pennsylvania. If you're not familiar, that's almost an hour uh, south of York City. Um, His mom, through uh, the ability to have CHIP, is able to bring him into our offices for medical and dental care. She's still driving an hour. Um, I was talking to her. She said, well, that's better than the three hours I used to have to drive to Philadelphia for his dental care. And CHIP is critical to their ability to maintain both um, their son's health, but also the stability of their family. So this enables her to um, take a part-time job so that she's been able to, throughout his lifetime, provide care to him and participate in his education and all the advocacy that's needed to um, help him be productive and integrated into um, the community. So there uh, are hundreds of stories, thousands of stories, and I just hope that at least one of them motivates our legislators to actually move from words to action. We're going to be talking with uh, Deputy Secretary Lisa Allen in just a moment, but something you mentioned I did want to follow up on, the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. How have community health centers been impacted? What have you seen uh, with the opioid crisis? And since we're talking about CHIP, if this isn't renewed, what happens to some of the the people that that you're treating? 
So we're very concerned about this area. We've been watching um, and more recently participating in a response to the opioid crisis in our service area, particularly York County, that's had um, just uh, an incredible impact, devastating impact um, of for families and individuals across our community. As a health center, we couldn't put that aside. Um, our, our core focus is on primary medical care, but there is seldom a day that goes by that a family or individual individual isn't coming to us that's been impacted by this, either because they're a caregiver for someone living with um, an opioid dependency or that's impacting them directly. So we've been able to enhance the services that we provide using both federal funding and state funding to develop a comprehensive service for opioid treatment for our county. Currently, over 200 individuals um, are participating, and um, it's long and slow and hard work, but we're seeing lives change every day. That's the type of program that becomes vulnerable when that federal funding isn't available to us because many of those services aren't reimbursable through traditional systems. Mm. So what should we be looking for this week? I wish I, I had a good answer for that. What I can say what our uh, our ideal scenario is that we would see uh, level funding for community health centers. Uh, what that would look like is across the, the nation, it would be about $5.1 billion uh, going into community health centers that they can just continue providing all the services we talked about. Um, for Pennsylvania, um, what that would really mean is that, uh, like I had said, uh, there's a study that's shown that community health centers save uh, taxpayers and insurance premium holders uh, $1,263 per patient per year. What we've done through some of our assessments is that uh, Pennsylvania health centers uh, save um, the state about almost a billion dollars a year. So for uh, $5.1 billion in a, in a national appropriation, we think one state being able to save $1 billion certainly shows a high return on investment. So what we're hopeful for uh, is with the support that we have heard from Congress, that there'll be an appropriation within the, that uh, congressional resolution that they passed before they leave for, for Christmas so that we can uh, have health centers completely funded. But uh, to the other point that was made earlier, uh, when we're talking about uh, CHIP families, when we're talking about community health center patients, um, we are talking about working families, whether they're, they're middle class or, or low income. These are all individuals that are, are, are going to a job to, to work on a regular basis. One of the benefits to a community health center is that we have a one-stop shop. So we have a lot of uh, uh, families that are struggling to make ends meet or single parents that they're able to, to get themselves or their kids to get the, the dental visit and the, the medical checkup all in one shot, sometimes maybe even a WIC visit on, on top of things. W women... The, infants that, and children, infants, yes, children yes, for a lot yes. of women in prenatal care. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to thank our guests for being with us today. Jim Wilshire is Director of Policy and Partnership with the Pennsylvania Association of Community Health Centers. Jennifer Englerth, CEO of Family First Health. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I want to turn now to Lisa Allen, who is the Executive Director, Deputy uh, Secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of uh, Human Services. Secretary Allen, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Maybe you can give us an update. What is going on right now in Congress from what you hear from the state level? So we know that Congress has, on multiple occasions, um, looked to include the reauthorization of CHIP funding um, several times, but has failed to act on that. Um, we have heard that the continuing resolution at the end of the month uh, may contain a provision that would reauthorize the CHIP program. However, um, there is at this point no guarantee that that could happen. And if Congress fails to reauthorize CHIP um, by the end of the month, Pennsylvania will run out of funding for CHIP in the first quarter of 2018. If you would, uh, Secretary, give me a sense of this is a matching fund program. Pennsylvania authorizes uh, the, the program, and then there is money that comes from the federal government. How much money are we talking about? So this is a significant amount of funding for the program. We received 90 percent federal matching funds um, for the CHIP program. It's about $500 million dollars. Um, that we received to operate the CHIP program. And without that funding, it would be very difficult for us to continue to find the resources to maintain the program. So we are really looking for Congress to act uh, and to do so quickly. 
What do you hear from Congress? I mean, our guest in the first portion of the program said everything they hear is positive. Uh, and as we mentioned, CHIP is a politically popular program. Both Republicans and Democrats uh, like the program and has been very successful over the past uh, 20 years or so. So what are you hearing from individual members of Congress, maybe the Pennsylvania delegation? So I can tell you Senator Casey has been a, a staunch advocate and has been um, continually looking for opportunities to raise this issue and um, have something passed at the federal level. Um, I think there is clear bipartisan support, but obviously there is something that is still withholding them from actually moving forward with reauthorizing the CHIP program. I believe that there will be some reauthorization of the CHIP program at some point, but unfortunately, the time is getting very close where the department needs to start making contingency plans um, to extend the funding period. And, and that means that we, without the, without the funding being extended in uh, the next several weeks, we would have to start notifying families about the end of the program, which is something that we have been trying to hold off on for um, quite a number of, of weeks at this point, but there's a lot of contingency planning that needs to happen um, in order to do what needs to be done from the federally statutory required process to shut down the program. Well, you touched on my next question. If indeed it is not renewed, uh, I, I, my guess is, I don't think it's a guess, I think we're pretty safe in saying that eventually it, be, it will be renewed, but say it is not renewed by the end of January when Pennsylvania will run out of money, uh, and you mentioned contingencies, what would that look like? So one of the things that we have started to do, um, two weeks ago, the department sent out a letter to our chip insurance uh, companies in the Commonwealth asking them to share information with their participants on what will happen if Congress does not renew the federal funding. And that was just our first um, notification to the families about what they should be doing. Nothing was changing at this point. They should continue to have their children go to the doctors and the dentists and use their insurance. Um, for those children in the low-cost or at-cost CHIP program, they should continue to pay their premiums. Um, if they get a renewal notice, they should fill it out and send it back. And then um, from there, if Congress does not act by the end of the month, we will have to start notifying families of the closure of the program. So this means that um, they would receive a notice 30 days in advance that the, the program would be ending. Um, we would be moving them through the process of looking for other insurance, whether that be through the Federal Insurance Exchange or through uh, the Medical Assistance Program here in Pennsylvania or other options available to them uh, through, through their employer, perhaps. Secretary Allen, I hope I'm not going too far when I say that uh, there's a, pr a pretty good chance that it will be renewed. It's just a question of when. Is it an accurate statement? That's what we're hoping. We're hoping, and that's what all indications seem to suggest. There's uh, large bipartisan support for the program, and there has been since the inception of the program. However, with timing of notifications that are required from a statutory perspective, as well as where states are in terms of the funding that they have available, notice needs to start being sent to the families. And that's what causes us concern, especially during the holiday season, to notify families that they would be losing insurance coverage for their children um, seems to be devastating to a family at this point in time. So Pennsylvania has made the determination not to begin that notification until we have some, um, some semblance of what Washington will actually be doing by the end of the year. Those contingencies you mentioned, do any of them include Pennsylvania taking up the cost or trying to run the program on its own? We know the dollars are tight here in Pennsylvania, and uh, there would be an outcry of how could we afford this. Does, is, is that part of any contingency? We have looked at all options. Um, it's not just really looking at the funding. Um, at this point, we are able to fund in the Commonwealth through the first quarter, but we do not believe we would be able to continue to fund the program without that federal support. So it's really crucial for us to be able to have that uh, confirmation that Congress has passed um, the federal funding bill. You know, in Pennsylvania, we did pass our legislation to continue the program, 
But without that federal support, it would be very difficult for us to continue. Uh, one final question. Uh, after uh, you're on the program today, uh, Secretary Allen, uh, we're going to be talking about LIHEAP, the Low Income uh, Energy Assistance Program. And uh, that's also part of uh, what Congress is wrestling with right now as, as far as funding. Uh, if you would, talk about uh, where we are in Pennsylvania and that lack of funding that hasn't been renewed. So for us, we're right in the middle of the uh, LIHEAP season. It is the winter months, and that's when um, individuals are looking for the assistance uh, with heating. And without continued funding for that particular program as well, and knowing what states will have available and who can qualify for the program, we would also be hitting families at a point in time where um, it's the holidays, it's the cold weather season, and there is now uncertainty about the program. Hmm. Pennsylvania's Executive Deputy Secretary of the Department of Human Services, Lisa Allen. Secretary Allen, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Another federal program aimed at helping low-income Americans keep their homes warm this winter could be in danger. The Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, or LIHEAP, is part of an ongoing federal budget negotiation with a budget deadline of this Friday. To discuss what's at stake is Patrick Cicero, Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Utilities Law Project and Chairman of the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program Advisory Committee to the Secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Human Services. Mr. Cicero, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. On Twitter, we are at SmartTalkWITF. Again, that phone number, 1-800-729-7532. All right, so we'll start with that broad question, uh, Patrick Cicero. What is at stake? Well, what's at stake, Scott, is um, about $178, $180 million of federal funding that comes to Pennsylvania as a block grant every year um, that provides um, uh, assistance to low-income families with their home energy bills. And this is a critical, critical program for uh, low-income households in the state. Just to give you some um, context for how helpful this program is, um, in so far this year, uh, the program opened on November 1st, and so there was, as a result of the continuing resolution, money that flowed to Pennsylvania. And so far this year, 213,500 households in Pennsylvania whose income is below 150% of the federal poverty guidelines have received $53 million in assistance from LIHEAP for an average grant of about $250. That's the cash grant component. There's also this crisis component for people who are facing a uh, a really critical fuel shortage, and that's another $6.5 million or 20,000 additional households who were helped with that grant program. And so this really is, as the Deputy Secretary mentioned uh, earlier in the program, this is a critical program that helps uh, very vulnerable households afford to heat their homes in the wintertime. If this program wasn't available to, I don't know whether you mentioned it, how, how many different families are we talking about, households are we talking about? Well, um, for, so far this year, we're talking about um, uh, 240,000 households. But over the course of the um, entire uh, LIHEAP season, we're talking about almost a half a million Pennsylvania households receive some form of LIHEAP assistance. So what would those half a million Pennsylvania households do if this funding was not available? Well, uh, many of them would go without. Um, we know already, even with this funding, there are 20-plus um, thousand households that typically enter the winter heating season without heat or without a safe centralized source of heat. Um, fortunately, in Pennsylvania, we have protections from um, uh, utility disconnection from the, from the winter months in December through March. Um, that's for, for households at or below um, 200 percent of the poverty level. But that protection doesn't require utilities to turn service back on. And more critically, it doesn't affect the um, tens of thousands of households that, um, whose source of heat is not a regulated public utility. We're talking about households who eat with fuel oil, coal, kerosene, uh, propane, wood, or some other source of deliverable fuel. There are 
tens of thousands of households in Pennsylvania who heat with those deliverable fuels that would simply have to give up other necessities, medicine, uh, payment of rent, or some other uh, necessity to be able to afford uh, to heat their home in the winter without this critical light heap assistance. So just to point out, uh, the, the two forms of heat that you're talking about that uh, do, would come under the jurisdiction of the Public Utility Commission and utilities would be electric and also natural gas, I assume. Are there any others? Uh, that's correct. Um, so it's electric and natural gas that would come under the jurisdiction of the Public Utility Commission. The other um, uh, source of um, heat-related service that could theoretically is um, water service that is necessary to um, operate a centralized heating system. So um, any any heat-related water service is also the kind of service that uh, LIHEAP crisis grants in particular could uh, go to fund. But yes, those are electricity and natural gas are the two main ones that would come under the jurisdiction of the Public Utility Commission. So, and, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, just, just to be clear, though, not all, um, not all electricity in particular does. There are rural electric cooperatives. There are municipal-owned utilities. For instance, in our listening service territory, the Middletown Electric, the borough of Middletown has its own electric company. They're not under the jurisdiction of the Public Utility Commission. Um, and and uh, similar, there's, uh, um, uh, in addition to that, there's uh, Citizens and Wellsboro electric companies up in the northern tier of Pennsylvania. So there are um, households in, in our listening territory who aren't, who are, get what we think of as regulated uh, utilities um, from unregulated utility providers. Chambersburg is one of those, too, isn't that it? That is correct. Chambersburg yeah. is. Yeah. All right. So I mentioned in the first portion of our program when we were talking about the CHIP, the Children's Insurance uh, Program, that it was a popular program politically. It is something that both Republicans and Democrats have looked at as a success over the year. What over the years? What about LIHEAP? I mean, is it as politically popular? I mean, obviously you're not dealing with children, although children get cold too if their houses aren't warm. But is this something that there has been bipartisan support for? Yes, um, LIHEAP has been a program that's been around. Um, for almost 40 years, right? This started um, in the early 70s, or more than 40s, the early 70s with the oil embargo, right? And this was um, principally a program to, because of the skyrocketing cost of home heating oil. Um, and it has been a widely um, popular bipartisan program that has gained support. And in fact, the House um, of Representatives um, the the budget that came out of the subcommittee that deals with um, LIHEAP funding, um, their budget would have increased the LIHEAP appropriation this year. The federal government spends about $3 billion. That's the uh, continuing resolution appropriation currently. The House's budget, which was supported in a bipartisan fashion, was almost $3.4 billion. It would have proposed an increase. So there is broad bipartisan congressional support for LIHEAP um, among um, both Republicans and Democrats. Um, and as you mentioned, this is a critical program. More than um, uh, 50% of all households this year who have received a LIHEAP grant have somebody in the household who is disabled. And more than 43% of all households who received a LIHEAP grant this year so far have someone in the household who is age 60 and above. So these are households that are kind of critically vulnerable. Um, uh, you're looking also at something in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 percent of households having kids under the age of five. So this is um, going to households who have young kids, um, elderly individuals, um, and individuals um, who are disabled. This is a program that supports very poor, very poor people. We had a phone call who a phone caller who didn't stay on the line. Uh, said so when you say 200% above poverty level, I think you said 150%. But the, uh, the bottom line is, she says that's uh, too abstract. What is the actual dollar level? Oh, yeah, thank you very much. I, I appreciate I, I appreciate that. Well, the, the two numbers I gave, um, LIHEAP is available for households under 150% of poverty. For a family of four, that's $36,900 a year. Um, for a, a household of one, we're talking about $18,000. But for a family of four, that's $36,900 a year. Um, and, it's, and it's critical to realize that um, that figure, um, LIHEAP is a program that's open from November 1st through April 6th. Um, and if you are uh, denied now, if your income goes down at any time during that period, between November 1st and April 6th, so if you're working seasonally, gearing up for the Christmas holiday, 
but in February or January you get laid off and your income deteriorates significantly, you should and can and should apply then because it's um, the way the Department of Human Services calculates income eligibility is they look at your income uh, the month prior to um, the date of your application, and then they annualize that income. And the reason is that we don't want people who lose work in the winter because of seasonal jobs or they get laid off because they're construction or other workers to struggle to pay their heating bills. This is a heating assistance program in those cold winter months. So we're talking about families at $36,900 a year. The other f- number I gave was uh, uh, for individuals um, whose income is at or below 250% of the federal poverty income guideline. That's the winter termination protections for regulated public utilities. So for those households, and for those households, we're talking about, um, for a family of four, incomes um, that can go as high as almost $60,000 are protected from uh, termination in the winter months, um, except for very exceptional circumstances, right? If you know if there's a public safety danger or something of that nature, uh, without permission from the Public Utility Commission, so the utilities just aren't able to shut off those services in the winter months. Um, uh, and again, it's a protection for public health and safety because the consequences of loss of utility service in the winter is that people will go to uh, great lengths uh, to stay warm. So they'll use uh, perhaps dangerous heating sources that pose a danger to them um, and the community. It's it's really a public uh, protection provision. Mr. Cicero, there may be people listening to this who say, well, you're talking about almost uh, $37,000 income for a family of four. With right. a family of four, that is not a lot of money. But $37,000... Some would look at that and say, well, is, is Lyheap paying the entire utility bill or heating bill for those families or, as the title of the program suggests, assistance only? Yeah, it is an assistance-only program, and I think that's a really good, a really good point. The program has a minimum. There, again, there are two com- two grant components. One is a cash grant. So if you if you are meet the income eligibility guidelines and some other program guidelines, like you pay for your heating source and you have home heating responsibility, you can get a minimum grant of two hundred dollars. Um, and depending on your household size and heating type, you get a maximum grant of a thousand dollars for cash. The crisis grant program is a maximum grant of $500, um, and that's for households facing a home heating emergency. So they're out of fuel, or they're facing uh, their services off, uh, utility services off, or they're facing a dis- disconnection of their utility service. It's really a way to get restored. And if you think about what it would cost to get an oil tank filled up, for example, um, at current prices, we're talking about um, seven, $800 um, to get a 250-gallon 200, oil tank filled up. So you might get uh, between that $500 crisis grant and your $200 cash grant, one tank of oil. Um, And depending on how cold the uh, winter heating season is, um, it's very, very unlikely that that one tank of oil is going to last the whole heating season. Um, So it's a help. Um, It is not a uh, program that pays the entirety of a of a um, household's uh, winter heating bills. So what is going on right now in Washington related to LIHEAP? So the the good news um, in, in, uh, with regard to LIHEAP is that because it's a, a, tem- a time-limited program, because it's only covered in the winter, um, when that continuing resolution passed um, that funded the government originally through December 8th and then now through this Friday, December 22nd, um, DH, uh, the Health, Department of Health and Human Services delivered to our state Department of Human Services 90% of their LIHEAP allocation for the year, which was $178 million. And so our state DHS has 90% of its um, allocation for a year based on that continuing resolution. So it seems it's possible if um, the continuing resolution doesn't pass, I don't think we're going to, we don't have to send that 90% back, right? But if a, if a um, budget is not passed or the budget threshold that is passed is significantly lower than that, there may have to be a return of funds. Um, and the funds that were, were given simply aren't enough, right? First of all, it was 90% of an allocation that was based on two years ago's budget requirement, um, given how we've funded our government. Um, And so unlike CHIP, for example, where they're just going to run out of money, um, we have 90% of our allocation this year. They front load it, which is what they always do. 
But there's a real concern that they're, A, not going to get the additional 10%, um, which would help tens of thousands more families, and B, um, that if the, um, when the budget is actually passed, there's a reduction in the LIHEAP budget um, across the board, there may have to be some recapture of those funds. And we're trying desperately to avoid that recapture um, of those funds. And we're trying desperately to ensure that uh, LIHEAP is fully funded for this year to help those vulnerable households. Has there been talk of reducing LIHEAP funding? Um, well, there was certainly talk of reducing LIHEAP funding at the beginning of the LIHEAP season. There was gross uncertainty about um, um, what the appropriation would be. The president's budget proposed to completely eliminate the program. And as I indicated, there's congressional support to um, to keep the program and in some um, chambers to actually increase um, budgetary funding for LIHEAP. Um, but uh, there, what I'm concerned about is um, given the um, uh, trading that goes on about priorities and funding, um, that someone will look and say, well, Pennsylvania and all the other states have already gotten X number of dollars, and they don't need any more. We can reallocate um, these dollars elsewhere, particularly if there's uh, a push to increase, uh, appropriately so, um, expenditures for um, our uh, men and women in the military. But there's this trade-off between domestic and um, you know, national security spending, um, and what tends to get the short shrift is these um, uh, domestic spending programs that help uh, low-income and vulnerable households in the Commonwealth um, and throughout the country. So that's a, that's a significant concern that we have. Um, there's, there's talk about um, uh, uh, sequestration and trying to, uh, again, limit uh, the ability of any more dollars going to the LIHEAP uh, funding. Patrick Cicero is executive director of the Pennsylvania Utilities Law Project and chairman of the Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program Advisory Committee to the secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Human Services. Mr. Cicero, thank you very much for being with us today. You're welcome, Scott. Thank you. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, uh, there has been a lot of attention over uh, the past uh, months on uh, fraternities, uh, particularly at Penn State, but also at other universities and colleges across the country. We're going to be talking about the the Greek system and uh, whether, well, you know, whether it's it's worth it with uh, some of the tragedies that are going on. That's coming up on uh, tomorrow's program. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle. Its 11 principal investigators and 12 nurse coordinators conduct research efforts to advance cardiovascular medicine. Information at upmcpinnacle.com slash myheart.